started this morning, let's pray. So, Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to worship you this day, which we've been doing. As we've been singing Scripture to you, and articulating some of the great truths of Scripture, which we long to continue to do. And Lord, I also just, I want to pray about something I've been praying about through the week. As we've heard the news about the horrible things, Kamloops Residential School, which we know in all likelihood is indicative right across our country in different places. We're deeply grieved by that. Pray for the loss of those children and the many others that, sadly, I think we're going to hear about. Don't have any idea how many. We pray for those, Lord, that survived those kinds of things, the families that grieve the loss of their children, many, many people, many people only directly or indirectly affected. Yes, I pray in particular for healing for them. I pray that they would look to you. I pray for them for forgiveness, that they might be able to experience healing of forgiveness rather than being in the I pray, Father, for us even this day that, that we would learn from this, that we would be better, that where we need to repent, Lord, just draw to our attention. I know I personally have been praying that. Is there any of this in my heart? Lord, help us to be people that really reflect reflect biblical Christianity, which stands against racism in everything. May we represent Jesus now. So, Father, as we consider your word now, we pray that you would speak to us. Again, not in simply an informational way, which is not how scripture was written. It was meant to be transformative, instructive, and, a, and a, allowing us, to allow that to just shape how we do life. So we pray these things now in Jesus' precious name. The night, nobody slept. You know, when you look at your cell phone, Sometimes there's a little red light on it, or your home phone, or your, or your office phone. And the little red light indicates that there's a message that someone has left for you. And the red light draws us. It invites us to respond. And we ask ourselves questions like, do I listen to it now or later? Am I going to make sure that I understand the content of that message? I might even make the decision to listen to that message multiple times so that I make sure I understand it. I might even take notes. 
based on that message. Or maybe I make the decision to save it and listen to it later, or in some cases, I make the decision to simply delete it and not be bothered. And God, I believe, has a message for us as clearly as that flashing light on the phone. In the same way that God had a very, very clear message as well for Pharaoh and the people of Egypt and the Israelites. And in this series that we're doing, this is the ninth in this series, When God Leads the Way, as we walk primarily through the book of Exodus, saying, what is God presenting to us on this journey? And we've been kind of trying to parallel that with the journey that we found ourselves on individually and as a nation and as a world these last 15 months. What are the opportunities God is presenting to us? What are the things he wants to teach us through this? And are we responding to those? Or are we just hitting delete? Or maybe I'll listen to it later. We know that for over 400 years, the Egyptians had enslaved the Hebrew people and God had decided the time had come to liberate them, set them free and move them towards the promised land. We know that God sent Moses to talk to Pharaoh and say, uh, let my people go. And, And Pharaoh said, not a chance. And I don't acknowledge this God of yours. In fact, I scorn him. We know that when things started to go south in that relationship, that the Israelite people cursed their leader, Moses, and by extension, they cursed God as well. And so God steps in and begins to demonstrate his power in dramatic ways, in unmistakable ways. He sends this whole series of clear messages that we've been looking at for a couple of weeks now, and, and, and they're quite mild at first, but they become increasingly uh, demonstrative and clear. And the message is very clear from God. Take these things to heart, respond appropriately to these, or there will be very sincere repercussions. In each case, God gives Pharaoh and the people time to think about what's transpiring. He makes sure the message is absolutely clear. Some people have suggested as the plagues were rolled out, not only did it take a number, we know for sure it took many weeks, but perhaps many months for this to happen. And this is because God wanted them to understand the message. He wanted them to make an informed decision. And his heart was that they would comply. His heart would be that they would respond. And this is why he's so incredibly patient with us, so much more patient than any of us would ever begin to be because he wants people to get the message. He wants people to respond. We were singing about that, if you noticed in some of the lyrics of the songs that we sang about earlier. This posture of the open arms. One of our songs referenced that. But Pharaoh, in a very hard-hearted, deliberate way, continues to say no to God. And God begins to increase the severity of the lessons associated with the message because he wants the light to get brighter and brighter and start to flash in a way that they all see. As these things happen, no matter what Pharaoh tries to do, he tries to get people to replicate them. He can't remove 
the repercussions of these things until Moses prays for them to be removed. Pretty soon, uh, the plagues only happen to the Egyptians and not to the Hebrews as God draws this line of distinction. After time, the Pharaoh's advisors say, Pharaoh, this is, this is the real deal. You better listen to this. This is really God speaking here, and you had better listen. It begins very mildly with just a staff, a snake turning into a staff, and then there's blood in the Nile, and then it begins to severely affect the economy and the animals and the people, and finally, in the end, the most severe plague, which basically touched every Egyptian home which we're going to talk about today. So what was the message that God sent to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, to the Israelites? And what is the message God is sending to us? Let me suggest one. Suggest some more later, but let me suggest one. Perhaps one of the big messages that God is suggesting to us in these 15 months. What does it mean not just to remain, but to thrive in Christ. Some of our structures are curtailed. What does it mean not just to remain, but to thrive in Christ? Because we see significant indications that in the church in North America, and in this church as well, that some have fallen away whatever term you want to use there. And some have stepped into the opportunities that God has provided to say, I'm going to use this as a stimulus to mature into a deeper faith with Christ, to learn the lessons of self-feeding, to learn the lessons of having a heart for hurting people all around me, to serve those people, to build community, to shine for Jesus in a world that I think as each day day goes by, is increasingly broken and disillusioned. So if you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to Exodus chapter 11, beginning in verse 4 through 8. And again, I encourage you to read all the context. I'm not reading all these verses. We're looking at chapters 11 and 12 today, so I'm not going to read all this to you but I'll summarize it, but I encourage you to read it. Chapter 11 of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, beginning in verse 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Despite all that God has done, despite all the warnings, in fact, all the warnings in the world, Pharaoh continues to say no. So Moses goes and said, listen, this is what's going to happen. 
And when this all takes place, all of your officials will be begging us to go. Yet Pharaoh shakes his head and says, no, again. And Moses is angry. He's hot with anger. He is deeply frustrated. And we've talked about his besetting sin. We've talked about the besetting sin of the nation, which I think is very clearly an illustration of what we're going through as a nation. They became a people who murmured and complained against the leadership and against God. For Moses, his besetting sin was he allowed his anger to move him in a direction that was ungodly and became sinful. And we see a number of examples of this. In this case, his anger was expressed expressed appropriately. He was upset because this guy would not repent, would not listen to the message. And I wonder, do you ever find yourself frustrated with people who won't repent despite what God is saying to them? And I I wonder at times how God views us in that circumstance. When is this guy going to learn that God does not bluff? Does not bluff. Doesn't lie. Doesn't shade the truth. Doesn't use, you know, things that he is not going to carry through with. If you were then to read the next 11 verses in chapter 12, we see in there that Pharaoh is given two weeks, 14 days to consider this. So think about this. There's been nine plagues over a series of many weeks or months. God has done this on the timetable the way he said it over and over and over again. And now he's given two weeks. This is what's going to happen in two weeks, Pharaoh, if you don't comply. And yet he still says no. There's a message in this for us. Are we hearing it? This plague is going to be different. If the Israelites do not want to suffer the same fate as the Egyptians, they have to follow some very specific instructions. And so Moses communicates this with Pharaoh and with the people. And God says in those 11 verses, this is going to be considered the first day of the year for you. And 10 days from now, each household is to take a lamb, a one-year-old lamb without defect. They're to observe that lamb for four days to make sure it has no blemish. And then they're to slaughter on the 14th day the lamb at the time of twilight. They're to take some of the blood from that lamb and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of their homes. They're to roast the meat. It's very specific how it's supposed to be prepared. And they are to eat all the meat of the animal and to accompany that meal with bitter herbs. If there happens, they're supposed to try and make sure it's an accurate amount of meat, but if it happens to be that there's a little bit of leftovers, they are to burn the leftovers. They are to eat the meal, we're told in those 11 verses, all dressed in their traveling clothes, ready to go. And one person has said in describing this, it's like they were to have a departing posture. And the meal was to be eaten in haste, we're told. All expressions of a sign of faith that God was going to deliver them and they needed to be ready to go on short notice. 
After all of this in verses 12 and 13, God does once again what he says he's going to do. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both male, men rather, and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Remember in the last couple of weeks, we've said they had these approximately 80 gods they worshipped, and each one of the plagues was a demonstration that the god they'd been worshipping didn't have control over the issue the plague addressed, that the God of the Bible was the real God. And so this is a series of uh, judgments on these gods. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And in verse 30, it says, Pharaoh and all his officials, when God does what he said he's going to do, got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. The night, nobody slept. At that point, God delivers two million plus people. We estimate this because in verse 37 and 38, it says there's 600,000 men walking on foot, exiting the nation of Egypt. So with women and children, plus it says a considerable amount of other people, Egyptians who understood clearly because of what went on, this God is, is the God, and I am going to worship him. They go with the Israelites. So two million plus people are delivered from the most, at that time, the most powerful nation in the then known world. So when we read stuff like this, to be honest with you, it all sounds kind of strange to us here in 2021 in, Israel, in, in, in Lethbridge. And we're asking ourselves, why did God do this? And what's with all the blood? The 10th plague is obviously the most severe, striking every home that had deliberately chosen to repeatedly ignore and defy God and to not be prepared. And each Israelite home and each Egyptian home all made a decision based on what they knew was going to happen. It's also the, the first time that, that inaugurated the Passover meal that is so celebrated by Orthodox Jews day, looking back and celebrating what God did in bringing liberation and, deli and deliverance. And it's probably the clearest picture of redemption pointing to Jesus in all of the Old Testament. As Brian said, we're heading into communion in just a few moments, and all of this text sets us up for communion. Deliverance in this setting from Egypt is a picture of our deliverance from sin and Satan and all of the bondage that's entailed with that. The sacrifice lamb points us to Jesus, the redeemer of anyone who will choose the deliverance that God offers. The lamb is this, is this beautiful word picture of Jesus chosen to be sacrificed. And it's not just any lamb, it's a lamb without blemish, one year of age. Observed, like I said, for four days. A lamb without blemish is chosen because the outward perfection 
of the lamb is a sign or a symbol of the inward perfection of Christ. That he was absolutely without sin. We say from scripture that he was the spirit-filled God-man. That he chose not to sin because he was a man full of the spirit. And so God looked and said, only a perfect sacrifice can pay for, can atone for, can promise and deliver deliverance and redemption to people. So Jesus is the sinless Messiah sacrificed for you. Christ was the lamb. Now, it wasn't, wasn't a lamb. He was the lamb. And this story points us to Jesus and to the deliverance that God provides. And at communion, we're going to celebrate Jesus, the perfect lamb that was sacrificed for you. This final sacrifice is sufficient to redeem everyone that's ever lived or ever will live. The chosen lamb is slaughtered, would have its neck slit. It didn't die accidentally. Neither did Jesus. Both were deliberately put to death. One significant difference is the lamb didn't know what was going on. The lamb didn't have the capacity to volunteer its life. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen in minute detail, and yet he willingly volunteered his life to be sacrificed, to be slaughtered for you. The lamb was killed at twilight, which in the Israelite thinking was middle to late afternoon, sometime between 3 and 6 p.m. during the day into the early evening, around the same time of day that Jesus died. And when we look at the Passover, we see the work of Christ through the sacrifice of the Lamb, which points us to Christ in the clearest fashion. The very deliberate application of the blood, which was a sign of the sacrifice and the deliverance, makes all the difference. The only way they would be saved, that they would be passed over. And it made a very clear, deliberate distinction between the people that chose deliverance and those that rejected deliverance. Now, I can just hear some of them and some of us today. That fresh blood's kind of disgusting. And so you'll hear people say things like this. I prefer a more practical style of religion, of being Spiritual, that's the phrasing that people use now. I prefer a more practical style of being spiritual. One that I can custom make and do any way I want on my terms. And so maybe I'll pray once in a while. Maybe I'll go to church or I'll do whatever once in a while. I'll try to be good and I'll hope for the best. In fact, I think I will just write up a whole list of those things that I do, that I've decided to do, and I'll tack them on the doorpost, and hopefully the angel will pa- of death will pass over my house then. Because I'm good enough not to be judged. I'm spiritual enough, whatever that means to that person, not to be judged. 
this passage shows us that the angel of death would look at that list and say, no blood, the firstborn dies. No sacrifice, the firstborn dies. I can see another group of people and they're saying, well, I'm betting I'll be spared because I'm a real admirer of the lamb and the qualities of the lamb as that sacrificial lamb. And we hear this many times today, they will appreciate Jesus the historical Jesus as a person. He seemed like a moral person. He seemed like a good guy. I appreciate some of the qualities that he exhibited, and I might pick and choose a few of those and maybe kind of apply them to my life in a way that I think is okay with me. Again, no blood on the door, no deliverance accepted. The firstborn dies. Lots of people have their own idea about the small g God that they have sort of conjured up in their mind that they may or might not decide to make time for and their own ideas of what it means to be spiritual. God has spoken in the very clearest of terms over and over again. Jesus the Lamb of God, sacrificed for you. So God says, are you hearing my message? Which is every bit as clear as it was to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians and to the Israelites. So let me suggest a few more messages. And let me just say, um, there might be multiple messages that I don't, articulate right now that God might have for you, or they might come at multiple levels. But let me, just, let me just suggest a few. One of the songs we sang earlier, which um, I often reference, will be that God fundamentally has these open arms postured to you. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He would prefer that everyone would be saved, even though he knows many will choose not to. And he will do what he can to draw us to him, to stir within us the desire to be in relationship with him and point us to Jesus and get our attention. And that is one of the big messages he's always flashing with the red light. Some other messages he might be suggesting in these 15 months are what's really important in life. As some of the structures have been constrained for us, maybe you've been sitting there thinking, what really is important in life? Maybe you've been thinking, am I really ready to stand before God one day? The God who is so patient and loving, and like I said last week, yet is still absolutely holy and who is a righteous judge a just judge. Maybe you've been asking, what am I really living for? Maybe you've been considering, have I adopted a posture of idle hands during the pandemic? Moving from a servant posture to more of a selfish one. Focused on me. What's important for me during COVID? Focused on what I want. Have I allowed perhaps 
the legitimate disagreements that people have. There's all kinds of opinions out here about what's going on. Have I allowed legitimate disagreements to degenerate into a lack of biblical unity where I'm attacking my brother or sister in Christ just because we have a difference of opinion? Have I become like the nation of Israel that are murmuring and complaining against leadership and against God, ultimately? Do I care about lost or hurting people who are all around us right now? And I know I've used this phrase in a number of places. I can't remember if I've used it here. It's not accurate with me. Rick Warren has said he believes there's a tsunami of grief that's coming as people begin to come to grips with all the loss they've gone through in these last 15 months. Has my heart been broken with the things that break the heart of God? Now, we may not totally understand why the blood is so important to God. You know, we might have it in our head, the, all the answers, but it's hard to s- sort of get it all clear in our head. We understand a sacrifice has to be made, a substitutionary sacrifice that is made to cover over, to atone for, to pay for, to deliver. But it's not only, it's not only important to say, have I come to the place we're based exclusively on what Jesus did for me as the Lamb of God, as the Deliverer, to, to surrender my life to God in a way that I recognize I couldn't earn this, I don't deserve this, I, I recognize I've done sinful things, and that the substitutionary Lamb has paid the penalty for me. Have I come to the place of that kind of surrender to God, and acceptance of what he's done on my behalf. But then after that, saying, by your spirit, would you help me to mature into uh, a relationship with you that deepens and grows and reflects you and your priorities for my life? You know, they feasted on the lamb that night but they also ate bitter herbs. And there's a message in that. It reminds them of their time, the bitter herbs of their time in Israel. So each time, in in Egypt, sorry. Each time they eat that meal, they're reminded of what they were delivered from. And we are going to celebrate that during the time of communion. Be reminded of what you've been delivered from at the cost of the Lamb of God. It says in verse 31 through 33, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. He's an interesting guy, isn't he? Also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. That night, more than two million people began departing 
Egypt after more than 400 years in slavery. And God delivered them. As I said earlier, we've been in this series for nine weeks now. We're going to step away from it during the summer. and We'll come back to it in the fall and look at seven or eight or nine or ten more messages in the fall. Let me just say, if you're here and you've never received Christ in the sense of saying, I'm going to adopt him into my life as that perfect lamb sacrificed for me. I'm going to come to grips with why he did it because of my sin. And I'm going to ask him to forgive me based on his sacrifice as my deliverer. And I'm going to surrender my life to him. If you've never done that, don't leave here today without having talked with someone about that. Pastor Brian will be up here at the front afterwards if you'd like to. Or you could talk with the person you came with today. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lamb of God at the communion table. If you are a follower of Christ already today, is there a message God, through that red flashing light, is trying to communicate to you when God leads the way?